to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Hello, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. on the board. S&P Futures are up 350. NASA Futures down 12. Not much going on uh, yet this morning, but uh, who knows? That, that, that can change. We were up and down yesterday pretty much most of the day and finished down a little bit, but not much. Uh, again, we had a huge week last week. Um, so we'll see how this works its way through. The uh, inter- interesting part of this whole mess is that the uh, Chairman Powell went to, went to talk to uh, our, our uh, big chief in the White House yesterday and uh, kind of dying to find out what, what, what happens to that today as, as we work our way through that. We'll see it as we do. So far, we've really heard a hell of a lot about it. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing okay. Hey, the president told Powell he was, uh, you know, committed to the autonomy of the Fed and basically um, dumped uh, full responsibility for fighting inflation on Powell. Now, do you believe that for a second? Um, I, let me rephrase that. Dumped full blame for inflation on Powell. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, just as a, as a way of history here, uh, back in uh, the day, uh, I don't know if, when you say the day how far back you want to go, but I'm going back to people's somewhat reflect, re- recollection of uh, the 70s and 80s inflation. And right be- about a year before Jimmy Carter was about to be reelected, uh, well, was going to try and be reelected, which he obviously did not, um, he had a meeting with the people at the uh, Fed, or in his, not necessarily at the Fed, but in his group of people, and they said, uh, we need, this inflation is getting out of hand, we need to uh, tighten up on things that it might throw the country into a recession. Or we can delay it till after the election. Essentially was the, was the question put to Carter. Now Carter was, uh, despite some foibles that the man obviously had, uh, was, was a pretty honest guy. Uh, maybe even the straightest president we've had. I don't know if that was a good or bad thing for him, but he was pretty straight in my opinion. He said, well, if, would the recession be worse if we put it off? And the answer was yes. He said, well, we shouldn't do that then. We can, let's start right now. And he put Volcker in the job. And we sort of all know the rest of the story a little bit. People pick bits and pieces of it out. And the country went into a recession and he lost. So I'm going to say that, uh, in two, in, uh, 2018, when Powell was doing the same thing and the market was going down, Trump called him to the White House and basically, I don't know what he did to him, waterboarded him or something. And he came out and for the next two years all he did was pour money into the system. Now, if anybody thinks that, that, uh, Biden told him yesterday, feel free to put the country into a recession by pulling back real hard, I, well, I got a bridge for you, Kevin. I'm just, just saying. What, you don't think he uh, gave him a political pep talk? Um, I'm sure he gave him a political pep talk. <laughs> exactly what I think he gave him. I don't want the stock market yeah, going to in, zero. In Trump's case, you know, you know what I, I, I really, my read of it with Trump is that he saw 
you know, all, all of the years before him of low interest rates. And when when Powell was ready to start raising rates, I, I think Trump looked at it and said, "Oh, you're just screwing me." Yeah. Well, you know, and and uh, you know, uh, and, and, and put the pressure on him not to. I, I don't. You know, I, I, I think it was really as simple as that because he, he was as thin-skinned a, a guy, and as as were, and, and you know, with good reason, as it turns out, <laughs> he yeah. was worried about people who were uh, who were out to undermine him, and um, uh, and and so he, you know, that's that's where he came from with Powell, where um, you know, I, I think the years before that, I don't even you know have a sense of what kind of pressure. Uh, that President Obama put on him, other than we never had a robust recovery then, and so the whole idea was to just keep interest rates down and see if you could if you could stimulate things. Um, but the problem was always uh, always on the uh, uh, priorities of the administration and where uh, um, you know where and how much spending they were doing. Well, I think. Uh who knows what goes through these people's minds, but I, I will say from what he outpeeped constantly, no, nobody judged his or wanted you to judge his presidency more than by the stock market than Trump, especially when it was going up. So he was not ready for the flip side of that. Yeah, I don't know if that's entirely true, Tom. He spent a lot of time talking about uh, unemployment rates, about black unemployment rates, uh, um, Hispanic unemployment rates. He, he spent a lot of time on that, too. I... I'm not saying that he didn't, but the, but I mean I I don't think I've ever in recent memory heard somebody say, well the economy must be good. Look at the market when the market went up, essentially ran out and took credit for it. I mean, he must have done that a hundred times. A lot of a lot of big up days when he was there. Yeah. I mean I just you know the problem with that is if it's if it, in his mind it was his fault on the way up and somebody else's fault on the way down, which is you know I think a lot of politicians probably have that view of the world, but uh, anyway. But I, but it did oh, and, and you know, and, and this go again. This goes back to Bush, who was always saying, uh, um, you know, his they, they were touting things like, you know, how healthy the market was allegedly, and um, and uh, and in addition to that, uh, you know, talking about things like, you know, the fantastic amounts of home ownership that uh, that they had um, encouraged under their uh, under their watch until all of that blew up. Well, Larry Kudlow, right he was he was ready to leave. Larry Kudlow, in the end of the Bush's term, was what was it? The Goldilocks economy, the greatest story never told, because people never never gave Bush the credit for the incredible economy he had, and the thing all totally blew up. And his reward was to become the head of Council of Economic Advisors from Trump. I, I don't. I uh, somebody could misread the world so much like that and be rewarded with the like a chief economist job, but. Um, but yeah, you know the only the only thing that could have been better was becoming treasury secretary. But you know, if, if you if you open your your ears and you and you listen, uh, there's 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 a there's a problem with this constant never really explaining what you're doing to the, to your population. Even though maybe a lot of people really don't care. Well, they probably care, but they don't have time to listen. Um, there's a problem with that, Kevin, and that when you actually have to say something and, and, and people believe you and something serious I don't think they believe anything I mean I, I mean, to, to virtually everybody on the right this inflation is Biden's inflation and they forget all about Obama's you know 8 years of 8.5% money supply growth and 
and then Trump's uh, the one year he was in. Now we had a crypto, uh, crypto. The uh, what do you call it? COVID, and he, uh, you know, we had a, we had an eighteen month period where we had twenty two percent rise in the in the uh, money supply. I mean, this this is not. I mean, I, history will probably if somebody if somebody's around to actually write monetary history twenty years from now, will probably say that the, the worst mistake ever made was in in letting Powell essentially talking, beating him, whatever they did, out of his policy in, in uh, late uh, 2018. He was probably doing the right thing. And now inflation is incredibly worse than it was then, and it's getting worse. Yeah, well, and we talked about this, yeah. you know, back when, as, as Biden took office, that, um, you know, I, I, I think my, my comment on it was there will be inflation because of all the trillions we dumped in in COVID relief. Um, but for the most part, the economy is going to be recovering from that. And, uh, and, and while there will be inflation, uh, there will be uh, certainly a period of time when the Biden administration could just pat itself on the back and say, look at, look at how great things are under us. Um, the problem that they have is they piled on top of it. They put, you know, more trillions and got stopped from trying to do an additional six. Um, but but I, I think it was the piling on that caused it to run out of control like it is. Well, so I, it would have been it would have been high, but you know now we're looking at inflation. You know, it, it, uh, you know if you look at the month over month, we're looking at incredibly high inflation rates, and that is a direct response to uh, um, to all of the to the COVID relief that they tacked on after Biden was uh, assumed office and other spending bills like the infrastructure bill that didn't have much to do with infrastructure. Well, I mean, everybody, everybody is spending from way back when. Everybody is spending. If you, if you I mean the numbers now are because because of the amount of cash in the system, the numbers boggle the mind. I mean, going out and buying a glass of beer boggles the mind. Uh, but the uh, every, I don't, I don't, I should, I should uh, go back research Trump, but uh, he was only there four years. But I'm going to say, Bush doubled the national debt. Obama doubled the national debt. Uh, this guy, or Trump, was on pace for sure to more than double it, and if he would have been there eight years, and this guy is going to do the same thing, only maybe worse. So every single guy from Bush on has done the exact same thing. And well, I agree, and and I totally hold Trump responsible for a number of things that I I don't think uh, many of many of his supporters are willing to. Uh, or, or even many conservatives are willing to concede. I, I think, you know, uh, there, there is, he has a, a big element of inflation. Uh, I don't think as much as, as Biden does, but a big element of inflation. Because um, I think, I think once, once you have it and then you, you know, you just pour the gasoline on, that's, a, that's an all new problem and that, that caused, uh, has caused it to run away. But, um, but in addition to that, I, you know, I think the, um, uh, the botched early COVID response. And what I'm saying about it is, you know, a lot of people said he didn't do enough early enough, and I'm I'm the other way. He he did too much early. Um, he listened to all the wrong people, and uh, and you know we we did all the you know we started the ball rolling on all these unnecessary lockdowns and and business closings and and all of that and and the horrible effect that that had on the economy. And and all the while, um, you know, he's start, once he started to realize uh, that that was probably bad policy, it was too late. 
but he you know he lit that candle too well i think what we're what we're seeing and i actually have a uh maybe we get eliani's point of view on this as well i i uh what we're seeing kevin is an absolute in, in my opinion a, a total lie on everything that they're telling us but I've, there's a piece of paper up here buried in my, I'll use the term files loosely. It has to do with a survey that was taken. Chad, we were just starting the show. So hey, wait, wait. It's in your files? Does that mean it's in one of those piles on your desk? Uh, it's piles on the floor. The, uh, oh, okay. And I was going to say, and you know exactly which ones. So no, I, I, have, I have no idea. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's in one, or th- one of three. It has to do with a nationwide survey where they asked, asked all Americans, I don't know how the hell they did the survey, about... Uh, government spending and they absolutely wanted government to have a balanced budget but they didn't want them to uh, decrease any sort of uh, transfer payments transfer payments the economic term for pensions disabilities you name it they wanted they didn't want any decrease in that <clears throat> they wanted, didn't want taxes to go up now um, I would like I would I would like to become an Olympic swimmer but I never want to get wet is that sort of the same Thing. Yeah, or I, or I do like swimming, but I don't want to work out. Yeah, I don't want to work out. Nor do I want to get, you know, what is the water in your ear or whatever happens when you swim. But I'm going to say that, that helping, helping, not helping, helping the politicians, not helping us, has been, has been an absolute lack of, I use the term, transport, plain, plain flat ass lying to us. Now I'm looking here today. Uh, where are we here? I'll find it. Uh, home prices. Yesterday, nationally, this is Case Shiller. Nationally, home prices were 20.6% higher than they were in March 2021, according to the S&P CoreLogic Case Shiller Home Price Index. Say that 10 times in a row. The Case Shiller's 10-day composite rose 19%, 5% annually in March, up from 18.7 in February. The 20-city composite saw a 21.2% year-over-year. The average rate on a Fixed mortgage stood at 3.29 at the start of January, ended March at 4.67. So that's roughly a, <clears throat> call it 40% increase. Three months on top of the the price. So the price of the house is up uh, 21% in, the, in a year, and in three months the uh, mortgage is up 40%. So I'm going to say that your monthly payment has got to be up at least 30% in a year, at least. Uh, and that's probably being very charitable. However, now I refer to the CPI table from our Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we pay these people. Uh, let's see. Owner's equivalent rent of residences from last year to this year is up 4.8%. Okay, then. Cool. Um, thanks, for, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting us know. And it's, and it's 23% of your, actually 22.5% of your basket. And I'm going to say that uh, Nancy that comes on on Monday, usually, she or Audrey, I believe the number is now for you to get a mortgage. It's pushing, what's it pushing, Kevin? 48, 49% of your pay? Really? It's that high? Huh? Yeah. Well, no, they'll, they'll let that, you... Is that a total debt? Or is no, that, that, that's how high they'll let you go of your... Of your, of your uh, it's it's if um, I, don't, I assume if you have car payments and boat payments and everything else it drops but I you know that's more of a her question yeah. but and and that's take home pay 
Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hope so. Now, I'm going to say during the eight years of the Obama administration, just to be equally equally critical, uh, you had a you had the medical services during all the Obamacare and all the crap, and all the people were starting to pay way higher and deductibles higher. I'm going to say that. Uh, your medical care became 20% minimum of the national debt. And it probably, in their mind, well, in their mind it was 6% of your basket. And they probably never really had the, the I wouldn't calculate it two, three years ago, from 2020 to, well, to 20, from 20, 2000 to 2020, 2000 to 2020, um, I had, the only thing I could find, Kevin, was uh, in- insurance paid by companies for their employees. And I was charitable here because most of their net 20 years, employees had to pay like a little more. Your deductibles were a little less or something. Your deductibles were a little more. And uh, I had I had uh, medical care up 2.85%. So I had 20% of, the, of your basket versus 5 or 6. And I have... It up to 2.85 versus 0.5 in the CPI. So for a period of eight years under Obama, there was inflation basically out your behind that was never counted, and now it's in housing. It's never counted. And this this over, when you start talking about 20-year periods, of we just actually tell people the, the non-truth. I don't, I don't, I mean, if, if, if I came out tomorrow and says, I mean, I mean you know, as Tommy Shanahan used to say, don't pee on my shoes and tell me it's raining. I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how you stop it. I don't know how well, you. And, and there's this economist mindset that all through all of that um, kept saying that um, uh, that the, the bond market was saying there really is not inflation because bond pro- you know interest rates were so low, and 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 that's I mean it's just not true, but. The, um, but the, you know that that's I, I know people who have made that claim to me, um, and and it, it's just such a ridiculous claim. And that, you know when you say there's hidden inflation, it's exactly the kind of thing that we've talked about on the show here, where you'll see revenues up, but uh, for a retailer, but you have to take a way deeper dive into uh, into in, you know sta- uh, sales volumes, numbers of customers all of those kinds of things that would tell you whether people are actually buying more or just paying more. And in some cases, they were buying more, and in other cases, there were people just paying more. And those, those that kind of data, it's, it takes a little digging to find it, but it's uh, but once you do, uh, you know, you can see what's going on. I'm going to say that the people who told you that, uh, for virtually every year you and I have been alive, are absolutely correct. Because in a, in a market that's free, any and nobody—I mean, I, I pity the fool, uh, as our buddy Mister T would say—I pity the fool that would lend somebody any kind of money, a hundred thousand bucks for a year with the inflation at eight percent. At the end of the year, get two two thousand dollars back instead of eight thousand plus. So you, you say to yourself, how how could the market be so jerry rigged to where? Why, why didn't bonds go down, meaning interest rates go up, during a time when there was obvious inflation in front of everybody's face, 
and yet people still lent money at those numbers. I'm saying the answer is you have a Federal Reserve that poured $5 trillion onto their balance sheet to keep those 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 bond prices very high. And they, yeah. they, they basically so, overran yeah, everybody so else. It was all Fed policy. It had nothing to do with whether there was really inflation. Unfortunately, the way we measure the numbers... You could you could make you could legitimize um, the idea that there was not inflation, right? Well, you you could say that the, that the market is in, in my in my day, uh, Kevin, when I first started the business, the it was it was laughable that that any governmental agency would ever think they were bigger than quote the market, and we would literally on the trading floor all all of us that suppose what we were talking about when the Japanese, for instance, would. Would, would dive in to save the save the yen, and they would run in and, and 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 you know use dollars out of their reserves to go out and buy the yen. All right, and then uh, and and all of a sudden the next day it was right back at the price where it was in the first place, and all the idiots did was lose money on the trade or worse. And we would on the floor just cackle and say, "Oh God, those idiots! Don't they realize the market's bigger than than you know than some government agency?" Well. I the, the the problem that the Japanese had was they just didn't start printing start printing dollars in their own their own backyard and just buy up every yen on earth to where everybody who tried to sell it uh, you know got it got it stuck where the sun don't shine where the, the Fed here has enormous power and they used it I mean they've never done that in any wartime any other time did they did they decide that they were going to raise the uh, the I mean the even in the Civil War, for God's sake, we only raised, we only printed money for like eight percent of the of the total money supply that wasn't taxed or whatever. I mean, we did we did twenty here in one year. I mean, that's 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 unconscionable. I mean, we, I mean, we don't have a civil war going on, for God's sake. But they, but now it, it's it's become very easy to to do all that. And you know, what are the re- and, and the longer you get away with it, I mean, let's face it. If you and I were were president, I. As much as I believe what I believe, these people are men of enormous ego. They think that 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 the reason that they're in office, and if anybody else is in there and not them, the world will be a worse place. So, I mean, that's that's their ego. I mean, I've, I've talked to enough of them, and, and by the way, you wouldn't be in that job if you didn't feel that way, right? So, well, just to stand up in front of the whole country and say, "Let me lead you," takes a bit of an ego. Yeah, it takes a bit of an ego. So, yeah, so the the uh, if, if you're going to say, "Look, we've been we've been." Basically screwing around with this for 22 years, is it really going to make that much difference if we let this inflation roll another another five months to the election? And the answer is probably no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, if if you're going to really go crazy on this and start yanking this stuff back and run interest rates to like eight percent, can you please do it in December? I, I I'm not so sure you and I wouldn't make that exact same request. Like I didn't start it. You know, it's not my problem, although it's getting to be. You know, don't, don't, I'm, gonna, I'm having trouble in these midterm elections anyway. Don't bury me. But I'm, I'm not so sure that's not a legitimate request, Kevin. Well, but, you know, the thing is, we, we at, at this point, we have a president, and I, you know, if he's lucid enough, that <coughs> um, should have a, a pretty good feeling that he is not going to be reelected. Um, nor is it likely that a Democrat is going to be reelected the next time. If ever there was a time to be a patriot and say, "Let's just do the right thing," this is it. Well, they're, they're not. But it, it doesn't fit his belief. I don't. I don't. Right now, I think he's worried about the midterms. They don't want to. 
I, mean, I, I think he he knows that he's not going to run again. But yeah, so does does he? He's worried about the midterms. Does he want you know total carnage or just mostly total carnage? Yeah, basically that's what he's facing. But I mean, and uh, you know, we're going to break here in a, in a few seconds. But I, it, it, the the idea, I also don't think. I mean, I'm not anxious to get Democrats back in power. I'm kind of tired of Nancy Pelosi, like I have been for a decade. But I don't. I also know that every single two years. Without any sort of policy, without any sort of, of, of guidance on any side, we just flip Congress all the way, and then two years later we do it again. I mean, I, and, and every four years we flip presidents, and all they do is, is walk in the first day with nine zillion executive orders. I don't, I don't see that as 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 a long as a long term plan in government. SB futures. Well, and, and up, that's the most distressing part yeah. is that we're we're governing by executive orders now, and so we really can lurch our policies back and forth. Uh, incredibly, and we we should we cannot be doing that. SP futures up six, Nasdaq futures up fifty cents. Be right back, stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Harrell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. He's a, she's Eliani on the board. We have Mr. Kevin O'Neill with us as well. A lot of stuff going on here this morning. The market's kind of quiet, so we've been talking about other stuff. We're going to talk here a little bit about what's going on oil-wise in the world. Oil. Everybody, everybody, everybody needs some of that still, even though they tell, tell us we're not going to need it much in a while. We just jump, jump positive here. SP futures now up 675, NASDAQ futures up 650. We're really, it doesn't take much to flip uh, the NASDAQ more so even than the S&Ps, but 10, 20 points is like nothing. It's like one trade and all of a sudden it, it's jumping. You see that all day long. It's, it's pretty scary actually. Uh, Dow futures up 112, individual stocks. Uh, doing some stuff here. We got Microsoft up a buck forty-nine. Salesforce is a big mover, up almost fifteen dollars. They came out with good earnings yesterday, uh, fourteen seventy-six. They're up, so it's almost nine percent. So that's driving the Dow higher here. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei one seventy-eight point six percent. Shanghai, which was up a bunch yesterday, down four points today. It's only point one percent. Hang Seng uh, down one twenty point six percent. Again, the uh, there was a survey that came out and says uh, Chinese factory activity contracted in May. Um, but still, they've, they've been bouncing back a little bit lately. We're here, we've got the DAX up 37.3%, FTSE down 26.3%, CAC around up 4, call that flat, so Europe is not telling us much. Uh, bonds up 3 basis points to 2.88, uh, could make us move back toward 3, at least trying to. Uh, the bond, uh, positive 1.13, that's a science we've seen that in quite a while, I mean like years. Uh, Japan up, uh, is at 0.24, right where it always is. Oil, uh, up a buck 54, 116.21. Rent up a buck seventy, one seventeen thirty. Natural gas up fourteen cents, eight twenty nine. Our bob up a dime, four oh one. So our bob's over four bucks. Don't plan on getting gas anytime soon under five bucks. I mean, it's just uh, it's too much. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down two twenty two, S and P down twenty six, Nasdaq down forty nine. It's a little bit of retreat from last week. We'll see if we we uh, we come back and take that away and, and start the rally again today. We'll see. Uh, gold down 12 bucks, 1830. Silver down 12 cents, 21.56. Just cannot any, get any kind of a bid. Gold's up one day in a row, and the next day everybody sees it and sells it right back down. And we've got crypto down 117, but still over 31,000, 31,542 on the Bitcoin. Eliani, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Thanks so much, Tom. Good morning, everyone. Currently 6.36 a.m. on June 1st. Oh, my God, it's the middle of the year already. Uh, let's start with baseball. Uh, White Sox lost to the Blue Jays last night, 6-5. to five. Cubs make a comeback against the Brewers, winning 8-7. to seven. And Diamondbacks beat the Braves, 8-7 to seven as well. Looking at weather in Chicago this morning, currently cloudy. Expect that all day, 71 with a high of 75 and a low of 58. Looking at weather in Phoenix, let me refresh my page here, currently... Um, it is clear, 72. Expect a lot of sunshine today with a high of 101 and a low of 70. Uh, traffic in Chicago this morning. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between East North Avenue and Central. Traffic eastbound on 90 between Lee Street and Lawrence. Traffic eastbound on 94 between Armitage and Canal Port. A massive line of traffic due to an earlier accident. Westbound on 94 between Glenwood Dyer all the way to West Division. Traffic northbound on 55 between Wout... 20 west and the 94 east ramp and finally traffic northbound on 57 between route 83 and the 94 east ramp back to you chief the uh kevin did you, you spot this uh 
I think I sent you regarding the oil tables. Uh, uh, I saw it this morning. I uh, just took a glance at it. I have not read the whole article. Well, there's a there's a article here regarding. I'll find it here in a second. Um, I got so much stuff up here. Imagine that. Um, it has to do with uh, how it's it's taken the the oil routing has gone from essentially play, uh, Europe, and we talked yesterday about everybody uh, deciding that they were. There's a, a an article there by a Pippa Stevens. Pippa, there's a name. Um, isn't the the uh, what's her name's sister Pippa, the one who married the the prince over in, in Britain? The one who was the big yeah. I don't know. I'm not, she, I don't follow them very much. Well, she was sounds a, sounds uh, sounds familiar. Go, keep going. She had a uh, she better she was a big splash at the wedding. She looked she was pretty sharply. Anyway. <laughs> I put these things together. Russia's evasion of Ukraine has altered the global oil trade. Uh, EU re- uh, leaders agreed to ban the majority of Russian crude imports. But even prior to the official action, imports in Northwest Europe are down. More Russian oil is now heading to other nations, including India and China. And I, uh, I'm kind of on this kick here for a couple of days, as Carl, Carl brought it up on uh, last Friday. It's interesting that if you... Uh, if you really want to hurt a company, a country, or, or hurt a producer, or whatever it is, what you really don't want to do is have policies that raise the price of the thing they're selling. Because uh, clearly, as, as Professor Hal was telling us yesterday, given the inelasticity of oil in the short term, the way to, to beat up on Russia and their oil is not to restrict everything where the prices go up, it's to it's to make the prices go down, and we're kind of doing just the opposite. So where the the ruble is actually stronger now than before the war started, which is right. So we put uh, ourselves at a disadvantage when we started down the path of canceling oil leases, et cetera. Yes, um, and and cutting production in the U.S. Uh, so we started down that path, and now um, by sanctioning it, you know, all, all we've done is drive up the price. So anybody who buys from Russia is who still buys from Russia is paying more, and Russia actually doesn't even have to sell as much to make as much to make the uh, um, uh, import dollars that or import money uh, that they always had. I mean, it's yeah, it's simple math. You double the price, and you sell three quarters of what you're selling. Guess what? You're doing better a hell of a lot better. Here, here are the are the like per, per week. Uh, again, this article's got a lot of good stuff in it. So Pippa did a nice job. Uh, yeah, I just tweeted it. The uh, and at one two twenty two, which wasn't that long ago, although this year is kind of getting long in the tooth. Uh, it was twenty nine point three million barrels per day uh, on the water of Russian oil, meaning in ships heading someplace, uh, as opposed to in a pipeline, as opposed to in the trucks, as opposed to on rail. So clearly, if you're if you're selling it to your neighbor, you're not you're hopefully in a pop pipeline. Uh, your second best would be rail, and if you really were stuck, you'd truck it. But you'd rather not do that, I suppose. Well, since then, now as of uh, even though it dropped a little last week, we're seventy-two point four million barrels on the water, and the uh, it's the people making. Well, you know, you never know where you're going to be if you make out like a bandit on the stuff. Evidently, the the amount of ships through the Suez Canal is up forty-seven percent. Those guys charge a boatload, so it's really. Uh, it's really something, and here's you choose that term on purpose. But uh, oh yeah, a boatload. Yeah. boatload. But I think it's like quarter million dollars to to take a like a huge container ship or something. It's like it's like a thousand dollars. Literally, is a boatload going through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's 
I think it's like a thousand dollars a container, and those things have twenty four thousand containers, or is it a hundred dollars a container? And it, some of those big ships, I mean, it, it's it's a it's an amazing amount of money that they charge one of these ships to go through these canals. But you know, I mean, it must save so much in, in, in fuel and time and getting beaten up going around the bottom of you know South America or Africa. But anyway, so the ne- the next chart here is uh, Russian oil exports to Northwest Europe have plunged more than eighty percent from their peak last November. We were they were doing uh, one million barrels a day to uh, well, surprisingly on this, Kevin, the biggest importer is the Netherlands. I would not have guessed that. It's like the Netherlands and then Poland and then uh, Finland, Lithuania. So as of now, the only the only people really getting any of it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's the biggest week here was in uh, November of twenty one, which was twenty four point five uh, barrels, a million barrels in November. All right, and they ended up with, uh, and, and most of those now again the big the big numbers are are. Uh, Netherlands is probably four hundred thousand barrels a day. How do, how do they do that? The Netherlands, I don't know. But next, next biggest is Poland, then Finland, then Lithuania, then Germany, then France, Sweden, and Spain. You know, gets a teacupful. So that that is down from one point, let's say one point two million barrels a day to a smidge over twenty two hundred thousand. So it's it's dropped by what's that? It's down to twenty percent. And now they're just going through the Suez Canal and, and heading over to India and China. And it's, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, now I, I'm assuming that India and China are not importing as much from Saudi Arabia or us or anybody and all the other places, Libya and you name it, that are, that are doing oil and all that stuff is just being routed to Europe. So it's just kind of a big, a big sausage swing here of some kind. I mean, it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat, even though I, I do believe, I believe that, uh, that the, the, any trained chemist can 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 stick a cup in anything oil and probably in an hour tell you exactly where you came from. Let's just say it, it sort of gets uh, mixed on the international market, shall we say, Kevin? And nobody even knows really which one they're buying or cares. More more like cares. I'm saying. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy, um, you know, and we can call it Putin's price hike all we want, um, but even the Putin part of the Putin price hike um, was induced by United States policy. I don't think anybody, any individual, there's 21 countries, last time I checked, that export oil. I think there's a, uh, you know, is is there price fixing when you have less branded stations in Chicago than you used to have, and you have only a few refineries that are doing, quote, the Midwest blend or the Chicago blend? Is there room in there for a few cents a gallon of uh, of, of naughtiness? Yeah, you know. I'm not so sure that any one country really can can uh, affect the worldwide price of oil unless other people sort of pile on and, and help them out. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I guess if Saudi said, "Look, we're not we're not going to export for a week," and dropped you know two million barrels a day off the market or three or something, <clears throat> within a month you'd, you'd feel it. But <clears throat> I don't know that any any anybody's ever going to do that. Um, you know because. Obviously, they have people to pay, right? Well, my my read of what was going on back, um, oh, and this was pre-Trump. This was uh, Obama years when uh, when they started uh, doing all the drilling in North Dakota, and uh, they were finding a lot in Pennsylvania. Uh, that, you know, with with fracking that they could get to, et cetera. When all of that was happening, um, I do think that that the Saudis 
um, did exactly what we were talking about with Putin in in that uh, what what they did was they lowered the price of their crude. They lowered it tremendously, and the reason that they did it was to make it less economical to uh, drill new wells anywhere, even no matter how plentiful uh, and cheap it was. So we scaled back production somewhat in this country, um, uh, and uh, and then they were able to inch the prices back up. And I figured that we would be playing this cat-and-mouse game for a long time. It wasn't as long as I expected, but, uh, you know, that that was what I thought was going to happen. I don't think it takes out. I did understand that the best way to uh, to compete uh, and and to uh, to hurt your competitors is to lower the price as long as you can stay withstand the lower price yourself. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And 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 I think it was, um, I believe there was it was a it was they were accused was a Saudi and Russia were accused correctly of. Um, having uh, <coughs> lowering the price intentionally to where when it got down to the twenty eight dollars a barrel, you ended up with you know just people just piling out. There was there was so much investment. In fact, here in Illinois, Kevin, I remember uh, having a, two or three articles one day that was show almost totally on it where they were going to do fracking in, in southern Illinois, and uh, and the the big the big bitch was that these guys had gone to essentially the counties and everybody and said hey uh you guys got to got to raise the 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 ability of all your bridges to handle these new trucks these heavy trucks and they were basically were forcing counties to do stuff um with you know bridges and road improvement and everything in anticipation of this fracking coming and i and i had a i don't know she maybe she's still listening maybe she's dead we all knows but we had a listener early on who was from Pennsylvania, and she would send me emails regarding uh, a hunting lodge up in Pennsylvania somewhere. And where these guys had, had, had sold, I'm sure it was mostly natural gas, had sold oil and gas rights to somebody, and then uh, when the price went way down, I think they built the road and everything they put up into this mountain and uh, had a temporary uh, pipelines. I guess you can just lay pipelines on people's property. They don't have to necessarily dig if they're going to be temporary. And I don't think they ever, uh, when the price went down, they <coughs> said, thank you very much. <coughs> and I think they left and, uh, you know, had to replace the road and everything. I never, I never heard I, back on that. Was, but that, it was, it was more economical to cut their losses yeah. on that one, um, than it was, uh, for them to actually pull the oil out of, or the gas out of the ground. And, and I think, you know, I think we saw a lot of that. The problem is at a time when, you know, when our countermeasure here, could be to drill more and to, to draw out more. Um, we are we're still canceling leases. Like two weeks ago, we canceled a whole bunch of leases that were already in place. So it, you know, it's it's a little bit more than just saying we're not going to do new ones. We were actually canceling existing leases, which makes no economic sense. And, and see, to me, the whole thing, this idea, and the president talked about this when he was in Japan. He said, "Well, this is a transition. You know, we're going to come out the other side with better, cleaner, more reliable in, uh, energy." Which you know maybe we will thirty years from now, um, but the, from from a business strategy standpoint, it makes no sense. What you do is you take the profitability of your existing cash cow products, like oil and natural gas that we have a lot, and you use as much of that profitability as you can to invest in new products, um, the new growth products, and so if the new 
growth products are green in- energy, you you want those investment dollars. You just don't want to shut down uh, the the uh, um, the profitability of the, of the existing technologies because you know then where are you going to get the money to invest in the new stuff? Well, the only way you can do that is credit. Well, yeah, and, I, and I'm looking at a chart here from uh, Baker Hughes. It goes back to you know 1975 and something. And when I talk about the inelasticity, which most people uh, <clears throat> couldn't define, and who knows, maybe I can't anymore either, but uh, 2019, 2020 is when we, we had the issues with the oil, right? Wasn't it like two and a half years ago? I remember it because IB was the one who was involved in it. But I'm looking at 2000, uh, we topped out on recently on oil rigs in, um, where are we here? Uh, say 1,056. In uh, June of uh, May or June of 2018, then it goes 1,050, 1,030, 1,053, 1,077. We tapped out, all right. 1,065, 1,048, 1,023, 1,013, 986, 970. It took really three years to reach a low. And I'm going to say, where am I here? Two fifty. I'm going to talk in October. Of 2020, this is after oil had gotten down to 28 dollars a barrel, and I do believe that, that the Saudis is when the new the new guy came in, right? And the Russians tried to put the fracking out of business, and they did it by lowering prices, by by flooding the the market with oil, like you say. Now how you know how conspiratorial they were, nobody will ever know. But there was a lot of oil out there, so then we got down to a low of 250 rigs in like September of 2020. So now. The prices are scooting up. Well, it took even with the with the prices crashing, Kevin. It took really two years to go from a thousand sixty three or a thousand seventy seven down to two fifty. And now here we are. Uh, how many months later? Now we start to creep back up two fifty seven, two eighty, three eleven, three forty one, three seventy four. Now we're up to six sixty two. We're pi- popping like twenty five new rigs out a month, which is about as fast as we can go. So. Yes, everybody goes to the pump and, and and thinks that this you know it should be instant. It's not instant, and, and plus now you have the situation is how reluctant is the current administration to really let this industry expand again? And the answer is I think they're fairly reluctant. Yeah, I think they are fairly reluctant, and because um, you know it, it would be one thing to say I'm going to scale back on production if that were if that were going to be the policy, I'm going to scale back, but. But it's another to say I'm just going to crash it. And, you know, I I think they took the crash it approach, um, which does a a couple of things. One is it does not leave you a lot of wiggle room if you have something like the current situation where you need to recover from it because of exactly what you were saying is long lead time to, uh, to make it happen. But part two of that is nobody trusts you. No, you know how much is the industry going to invest if they know that as soon as it's convenient for you again, they're going to you're going to crash. Well, but, but it's if you're of that mindset, and, and people have been have been really some have been of this mindset for ages, Kevin. I mean, it's it, the idea is whenever it's really tough to try and talk people into not buying the big monster SUV like I have. Of course, mine's twenty years old. Not by, not, it's really tough to tell people to get the smaller car when gas is a buck fifty a gallon. I mean, you, you're just people are going to walk in and they're going to have this 
idea. Maybe I should save the planet, but damn it, that bigger car looks a lot better, doesn't it? And I can fit some people in there, my golf clubs, and what do I care if it's another two miles per gallon and it's a, and gas is a buck eighty-five? I mean, so obviously the the best way to ration anything is is through price. Okay, now well, of course it hurts the the people who can least afford it the most. But everything, everything you do when you we we ration everything through price. I mean, diamond rings are rationed through price. That's why you know, but we're rationing something we didn't need to ration. Well, but I mean, shouldn't have been rationed. Okay, but what I'm saying is that that has been the mindset since you and I were in school. The reason why people have big gas guzzlers in the U.S. versus Europe is because the gas is cheaper here than in Europe. Duh. I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, well, you know where we see it here is uh, is recreational stuff. Yeah, what so, I for instance, you know, people just aren't you know people who own boats they're just not they're not putting them in the water. There. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rational approving what they did, Kevin. But I know that you can talk to your blue in the face about some guy not buying a speedboat, <clears throat> and if gas is 80, 80 cents a gallon, he's going to say up yours, and he's not going to hop in, right? I mean, that is the way to do it. But now the problem is. Is when you talk about an industry like this, when you do something like that, it's like it's like telling your football team, uh, "I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to issue what warm up jackets on the sideline." And all of a sudden, you go play in South Bend, and it's 40 degrees in September. You know, it, it may it may seem rational to you, but guess what? Other things happen, and all of a sudden, they got a war at a time when we have a low production here, lower than it was, and now we got a problem. Right? Instead of but, yes, but, but I will also say that there were a lot of people in the world saying you are creating a national security issue by doing all of this, and it's exactly how it's played out. National security in terms of the ability for somebody to do harm via pricing um, that uh, that that is hurting. It's hurting normal people. But we we have done that on virtually every product there is. Ge- you know, generic drugs. I mean, do you think we do, we were murdering these old people with these drugs that are ten times more than they ought to be? We do it all all over the place, Kevin. Yes, we do. And you know, th- but people for whatever reason, I don't, I don't. I guess I understand it because I mean, I've, I've driven a car my whole life. That whatever you pile in, right in front of you, is is the price, and you know for you know what it was the two days before in the last week, and it pisses you off like a hell of a lot more. But but nobody nobody bitches. If you go over to Northwestern and have, well, I'm not doing this, but if you go over there and have a baby, it's three times as much as it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. No, for the, people just right, absorb it. You don't have to pay for it. Your insurance right. pays for it without making that connection that you're paying for it. Yeah, I mean, so, but I mean, everybody's known. We studied studied oil in college for God's sake. Let's not go into how long ago that was. And it, it, in those days, I remember a professor saying the problem with oil is if you have any kind of a shock, it's very inelastic. The supply, but then again, if all of a sudden the prices go too high and everybody starts building oil rigs, three years from now you got a glut. It's it's that's just the way it is, and it's and it's still that way, right? And I'm, I'm guessing that going on, yeah, yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that if, if this war, thank, well, hopefully, praise the Lord, if the thing ends, the two or three years from now we got a glut, right? Well, that would be nice. Well. Yeah, I guess. But, but yeah. you're not going to have a glut if you if you don't do uh, if you don't drill domestically. But it, w- it, w- it won't be nice if you keep scaling that back. It won't be nice if you if you and I are one of the people who put up the 25 rigs last month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it all hey, depends on. Let, what, let me let me shift gears. A, a quick sports hit. 
uh, before you kick me out yeah. of here. Um, I, I have maintained that as we look at the two Chicago baseball teams, that the Cubs lose because they're just not good enough. You know, they, they just don't have very many good players. The White Sox lose because they play crappy baseball. Yeah. And last night is the perfect example of I watch the Cubs. losing because you play crappy baseball. The White Sox lost 6-5 to five last night. The score was actually 6-5. to five. They, uh, it, it, they went into the sixth inning down 6-3 to three and rallied. And so they, they uh, closed the gap to 6-5 to five in the top of the sixth. And uh, Yasmani Grandal was up uh, with Met runners on first and third. And he hit a pretty good, you know, pretty uh, reasonably deep fly ball to left field. Uh, and so the runner on third tagged up and jogged home. Got a problem with that? Uh, not if he made it. Well, you got to, you, you always run. Yep. Right? Never assume. You always run. Crappy baseball number one. Crappy baseball number two is the runner on first tagged up and tried to go to second and got thrown out, and he got oh. thrown out before. Before the guy the, across the plate, you got to be kidding. Before the guy got across the plate, so the score remained six to five. And that was the final score of the game. That's that's unconscionable. They, it, it's just, and and there are so many. If you watch the White Sox a lot, you will see a lot of bad baseball like that. Just a lot of poor decision making, sloppy play, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's why the White Sox lose games. The Cubs just lose games for the most part uh, because they just only have about three good baseball players on their team. Well, these these young guys are bringing up, and you can just tell. I mean the. I'm sure that they go out there with whatever intention of, you know, they want to win, right? I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody goes out there and doesn't want to win at that level because you've been playing your whole life. But you can, you can just see by the, what's happening, how, how different it is from, uh, you know, watching the, well, even the White Sox. But all of a sudden some guy's up from, from Triple A and his three buddies have been called up in the last month and the, and the guy hits a home run. And they're ecstatic in the dugout. They don't. They don't care if the game's you know eight the zip. They're losing. It's one of their guys coming up, having his first day, getting his first hit, throwing the ball out. You know, you know, it's it's a whole different view. I mean, it, it's it's a bunch of young guys, really, that are a year or two away and are dying to become a team with a core, and they want to be part of the core. It's it, it it's different. I mean, I don't. I mean, uh, I don't know who half the half the guys are. A couple of them look like they're pretty good, actually. Yeah, you know what? I, they'll they'll bring up a bunch of guys. Some of them will make it. Some of them won't. They'll all show a lot of promise, and then and then we'll see what happens with them. But uh, um, but they are. But they're they're also they seem to be better coached. They're more disciplined at the plate in general. Um, they're uh, you know they're they're hitting their cutoff men. All that kind of stuff, which is which is good. Um, it just you know I hate watching teams. You know, I think that they have opposing teams. I hate watching them lose because they play crappy. I think ball. they're bringing these guys up and they're more coachable because they're young and they want to be here. SP Futures up thirteen. Nasdaq is up thirty nine. We're putting a whip to it here. We were pretty much unchanged when we came in. Be right back, uh, Professor Russell Rhodes. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Norway Bank Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tamal Eliani on the, on the board. SP Futures up 15 now. As they figure up 44, uh, driving the Dow is, uh, Salesforce, which is up 1441 after good earnings last night. Do we have the professor with us? You do have the professor with you. We're not, I'm not, I'm not having to be tracked down this week. And I gotta just tell you something hilarious. Hilarious. History repeats itself. One of the first times I ever listened to you, it was you and Pete talking about high energy prices and how that was gonna, uh, put the squash on people using their really big cigarette boats in Lake Michigan that summer. Yeah, yeah, well. I kid you not. I mean, it was, God, 2003, 2004, something like that. So, it was, history I, repeats itself. I, 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 I always remember that conversation for some reason. I did, uh, was, was diddle digging last week. You know, my, you know, I Googled. That's digging, I guess. Uh, I was on one of those, uh, you ever on one of those, well, they, they call them a, a Tugboat, but they're really a towboat, but they really push the things that push yeah. the barges. You ever have one of those things? Yeah. Oh, they're pretty awesome. I, they? I, I grew up in Memphis. They, uh, you, 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 we saw those boats like making sure the barges were not going to hit the bridges all the time. Well, but you, you know, I was on one, and uh, only one, and the thing was, I don't think it was even a really huge one. But those things, you can, uh, they hold somewhere between 6,000 and 20,000 gallons of diesel. Glad to ask. Well, I think they're diesel, but yeah. But well, they, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, but they, I mean, yeah. 
so what is what is like a, a fifteen thousand gallon drink cost now? Seventy five G? Holy oh, my uh, my father in law used to have one of those uh buses that you drive around the country, one of those or you know pre buses and, and if he was if he was stopped somewhere people would ask if he was driving a rock star from one place to another and yeah, it was his. It was his, but he would always say things like, "Well, I just can't tell you who it belongs to," you know, stuff like that. Um, I think one time he said it was a Kennedy. I don't know why he did that, but um, it was eight hundred gallons to fill that thing up. It got two miles to the gallon, and his first drive would always be nonstop. Uh, he and my mother-in-law would take turns swapping who was driving on the fly, which just scares the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. um, they, and so they wouldn't stop. They'd go straight through to Phoenix, and you know, that that would just about take a full tank of gas. Well, at five bucks a gallon—that's four grand to drive that thing from here to you know that, that's last second first class round trip ticket, which which would be my preference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, did this thing? This was was this a just a bus or was it a camper? I mean, obviously, you could it was a bus. It was. He would refer to campers as crates. But I mean, it was. I'm saying it was designed as a bus, so it was. You know, it was really good on the road and all that stuff. But oh yeah, I mean, yeah, but, yeah. I mean you could yeah. sleep in it and everything, right? I mean, you could. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh right. no, it was. It, it was. You know, something that. Uh, you know, you know who Henry Rollins is? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he was in Indianapolis a few weeks ago, and um, and unfortunately, I had to teach class. So I didn't go see him. But I went by the theater that he was playing, that he was going to be performing at, and he had the exact same one as my uh, as my in laws. It was like part, it was parked right next to the theater, and you knew it was his because it hadn't been there before. Um, so yeah, no, that's it, it was it was nice. Well, those things are like nice. there's a lot yeah. of uh, trailer parks that only allow what the the Type A. Those are those are Type A. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got another. I got another friend who was a professor at uh, Oklahoma State who does the same thing, and we visited him out in Palm Springs, and he was in one of those places, one of those really nice places where you actually own where you park it, and um, you know all the neighbors get together and do fun things, do fun retired people things. Yeah, there's these people in uh, Ogden Dunes that have had a couple of iterations of these. You're right; they look like a bus, but you're. You're talking about ones that actually, I mean, they're on a bus platform. I mean, they, they could have been a Greyhound bus, you know, which is, I mean, that's, that's even more heavy duty. I mean, they're designed to go all day, yeah. every day. But he, this guy said, but I mean, now they got the slider windows and stuff where the windows slide out. It looks like you got, you're in a house. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, that's the kind we're talking about. But these it, guys went it, to someplace in Arizona. It's wider when yeah. you stop. Well, these guys would go to someplace in Arizona. And it was it was considered a yacht club out in the middle of the desert, and, this, and the, the, the the town went from like a thousand people to fifteen thousand people in the wintertime with all these people out there parking. They say golf courses and all the other stuff. Yep, I mean, it's a, yeah. a whole different world. But I think some of them now, being uh, not an expert, I think they're up to four or five uh, miles per gallon at least. Um, well, it was it, he said he got two. <laughs> Well, even, even your over-the-road uh, trucks, yeah. if you go back to the yeah. 70s, I think they got two or three, and I think they get like six. Yeah. It, the, the technology's so been... We, 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 we just got to price those guys out of existence. 
Yeah, I might as well. Yeah, I, I was. I had a meeting with one of the retiring professors at Kelly, and somehow we deviated into politics. And he was like, he said, you know, they're just doing this on purpose, so people will eventually, so people will. Uh, they, they they want this to happen. He truly believes that, and, and a part of me believes that as well. They don't they don't want it to happen to the point where they don't get reelected, but they want it to happen to the point where people uh, start buying cars that have better fuel economy or going hybrid or going gas. Oh, I'm sorry, electric, electric. So, well, but I, I do I do believe it's a conscious decision. Well, it, it's been it's been percolating yeah. since I was in college. There was. We're never going to yeah. get people to get smaller cars if gas is eighty nine cents, like it was when I was in college. Yeah, and you're not, you're not going to get people out of the speed boats, you know, if, if if they can fill the thing up for a decent price. Well, I mean, there, there's there's no nothing inaccurate about that statement, which is so. And, and the best part is they've got a scapegoat that 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 you know will allow them to say, well, this isn't my fault; it's Vladimir Putin's fault. So vote for me. Well, yeah, but it's. I mean, I think most people will, will, I guess, not believe that totally. But no, it's all. No, no, it's in, just like you guys were talking about in the first hour, it depends on what side of the political spectrum you're well, on. that's true. That's true. But, you know, Republicans are going to say that this was already happening, and the Democrats are going to totally blame Putin. And then the small minority of us that don't automatically tow one line or the other and think these things through, we'll realize that it's a combination of both. Well, according to an article I have up here somewhere, uh, the news, most people, unlike maybe you and I, most people have lives, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and the, what you do is, is you also realize that your vote, again, this is from an article I should dig out of my files, your vote is, is, is pretty much useless, right? So, I'm not saying it isn't in a small town where there's ten people. It's probably worth something, but basically in Illinois, it's useless. Uh, yeah. So most people are not willing to put up put up the time and effort to really learn all the issues themselves no. and judge them all on, on, on their individual merits. So what you end up doing is you essentially pick a side, and you let you let the side do your thinking for you. So the first thing you think of, okay, I'm Republican. What do Republicans think? On this one, that's where I am. Or I'm Democrat. Where do they think? Uh, that's where I am. So it's kind of a. Um, I can see why it happens. It's you know mm-hmm. it, it's a you know it, but it but it comes down as a uh, somewhat of an intellectual cop out basically. I don't, I'm on a huge level. I'm, I know I'm insulting people there, but I'm not trying to do that. But I think it's the truth, don't you? Oh yeah, I think it's true too. Because uh, people that are automatically going to toe the party line. Well, and and to a certain extent, um, and I, I've been guilty when I when I was a um, a, a Democrat. Uh, I've been guilty, you know, twenty years ago. If I walked in and there was a Democratic judge and a Republican judge, and I didn't know either one of them, I'd vote, I'd vote for the Democratic judge. I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm not guilty of this. I mean, I don't know half the people I'm voting for. You know, now I'm liable, mm-hmm. I'm liable just liable to vote for the Libertarians. <laughs> or <laughs> I random it up a little bit, but but still, I'm not. I don't I don't know who the hell I'm voting for, which is. I mean, basically, what sixty percent of the ballots? You don't know these people, right? Oh, easily. There was a. We might have a um, lady on on uh, Friday, hopefully, and she's running for uh, Bobby Rush's spot. Uh, Karen uh, Norrington Reeves. I met her. She seems very nice, and uh, 
I don't know if she's... Well, she's running against... There's 17 people in the primary, right? And, she, and well, she's she's been uh, said by... You know, she, she's the one that Bobby Rush said should be the one that secedes him. Now, I don't know what kind of pull Bobby still has, but... So I think she's going to do pretty well, but the weird part is... <coughs> Uh, the person who's allegedly leading by the polls is one of the Jackson's kids, one of his sons, Je- Jesse. Now the other one ended up going to jail with his wife, right? Uh, so this one, yeah, and I think they're they're both out. He he served, and then she served, so one of them could be home to take care of him. Some story. Anyway, uh, so the people went out and did a poll in this area trying to figure out who else winning. And there's another lady, uh, Collins, and she's pretty good too. Uh, anyway, well, she's pretty strong candidate. Well, <clears throat> Jackson's kids running, but here's a poll. They said, "Jackson, who like who's that?" And as soon as they said, "It's Jesse's kid," they go, "Well, I'm voting for him." <laughs> they didn't even know that he was Jackson. It was like me going out. To, what about this uh, Rhodes guy? Oh man, his grandfather was the Colossus of Rhodes. Well, then I'll, then I'll vote for him. <laughs> it's like if, if if you could, if they don't even know the person, but if you know the name, then all of a sudden you're gonna put the. They forget the part that his brother went to jail. It was in, it was in the same office, right? Uh, anyway, but I mean, this politics is bizarre world, isn't it? I mean, it. But uh, especially in, especially in Chicago. But to get back to you know, there are people that have decided that in the long term. Um, and, and they've done this in Europe. The reason why your gas is so high is they tax the living hell out of it, right? So they they, they, they don't give the money to the oil companies, and, and you know, and then demand like excess profit tax. I mean, one thing you can do is if you want to kind of screw the demand, and by the way, screw the oil company. If gas is two bucks a gallon, you put a dollar tax on it. Now that's nothing that I would ever want to see happen because, by the way, I, I drive a lot. But I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. Public policy. We don't want gas at two bucks because there's going to be too many, you know, high gas using motorboats around and everybody's going to go buy an SUV like me instead of a Honda Civic. We don't want that, so we're going to, we're going to make it so gas is three bucks again. We're going to artificially raise it. Which, uh, you know, I, in some ways, I mean, uh, in Europe, if you got streets that are three feet wide, I, I guess, uh, you know, maybe something like that makes sense. I don't know about here. Mm-hmm. When, when you have trucks that have to bring stuff from Illinois to California, and what are you going to do to the guy? Just bury him? I mean, uh, so yeah, there's a million and considerations, right? Kind of what's happening. And, it, and it's always the, the, you know, the, it makes an awful lot of sense right on the surface. Well, if we, and, and you guys were talking about scarcity in the first hour, how, you know, if, if it just becomes, too expensive to buy one thing. You try to find an alternative. Um, yeah, I, I, I do believe that they, they want us to. They want us to drive an electric car. You know that, that which will create all of its own kind of problems. You know. The, oh sure. Well, the, 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 we got in certain parts of the country this summer. If it gets way too hot, you're going to see rolling blackouts, and you probably see that in California. Uh, California, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I almost guarantee that there probably is a percentage of cars on the road, probably more electric cars out there than, um, you know, just as a percentage of the overall cars. Those have got to plug into the same, uh, you know, the, the same system that we get our air conditioning from. You know? Right. And, and so, uh, pushing people toward electric cars is going to end up having this, one-off impact that everybody's going to get upset about when you know when they 
they, they don't have any AC at night. And then I'm sure the governor of California will come out and say something nice. Well, if we all set our thermostat at 78, it'll all be good. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> his, his is 72. I mean, all I want out of government is just not to make my life worse. Uh, good luck with that. I, mean, I know, and that, that's not what they're there for. I mean, in, in, in theory, if you were in the Chicago area, and I don't know many people know this, but it's when we had, and they keep trying to close them, when we have the nukes going essentially 24 hours, most times of the year you can buy a boatload, I think I've used that word about three times a day, of electrical power in the middle of the night for next to nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, same way if you're, if you're, if you're stuck next. So in theory, if there was 100,000 or 200,000 electric cars in Chicago and you only plug the damn things in from midnight to 4 a.m., you probably wouldn't be hurting. You'd almost be helping the system. That would, especially if you if you do that, and then um, you you get one of the cool F one fifties that you can power part of your house off of. For how long? I mean, give me a break. I, I don't know how long you can do that, but, but, but that's, that's part of the add on the F one fifty. I mean, I want to say that that would run your home air conditioner for twenty minutes. Uh, for a little while. Yeah, I'm not saying it would be useless, but but the point being, mm. now now you're talking about California. We don't want no stinking nukes. So you, now you're going to plug the thing in at noon at the top of your air conditioning peak load or five o'clock. Now that's mm. not going to work. No, I mean the thing is, however, you 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 if you're charging up twenty million cars, you're you're not going to be able to do it. Well, unless you have ways to retain the power, you're not going to be able to do it. With sun energy during the daytime, it's it's not when you want people with their cars plugged in. You want it at night. And, and you know what? There's, there's no wind at night either. No, not as much. Yeah. So it's I mean, a, I mean, no, is, is there is there any adult at the top of this room thinking these things through? No, not at all. And I think that's um, I, I I think that loops around to um, what is wrong with the current administration. Um, I don't think there are many adults in the room. Even our uh, you know, democratic... It's, it's, like, it's like if you're, you're in a family and you have a really strong patri- patriarch for a really long time, and he starts to go downhill and you've got nobody to, uh, to step in as the, uh, the new patriarch of the family. Uh, probably because he wouldn't let anybody make any decisions while he was there, so... Well, I think that was part of it, but I also think that it just seems like when you look at, um, you know, the cabinet that they're they're not not a lot of not a lot of gray hairs on the people that are in the you know that are serving under uh, Biden. Well, that's because you could not have a gray-haired white guy in there. I know, I know. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go in that direction, but yes, you're. I think that is definitely part of it. Even our, our buddy Wayne Matson, who's. Uh, I don't know if he's all that liberal, but he's very pro-Democrat, said that they really need somebody in the White House that gets out of the limousine once in a while and has any idea about what these policies are affecting people. So they don't seem to have anybody mm-hmm. in there who's in touch with, you know, anybody. I'm going to ask you, when it comes to... I, I, the, the, only, the, the only way that I would be really confident about a second Biden term is if you put a really strong number two in Kamala Harris's spot. Well, because you don't think he's going to make it. No. Well, that's part of it, but just also having, you know, 
my my understanding is like that Gore was a really good compliment to um, to, to to Clinton. That you know Clinton would like be a big thinker and try to you know and 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 have all these great ideas and and Gore would try to get him focused. Uh, and part of it was Gore had been in Washington a lot longer than um, than Clinton had. You know, Clinton was the governor of a very small state before he became president. And I feel like Biden probably, if, if, if Obama listened to him, Biden probably was helpful to Obama. You know, but I don't think Pence, I don't think Pence had the D.C. experience to help Trump at all. I don't think Trump, Trump probably wouldn't have listened anyway. Yeah, I don't think Trump would have uh, help him. That's, that's a problem. I mean, I'm not, when I say that about Trump, I'm saying that about Roosevelt. I mean, he knew he was going to yeah. die. He, oh, still, he didn't even invite Truman to the meetings. I mean, <clears throat> even though he knew he had, had every, let's put this way, everybody around him knew he didn't have much time left. And he invited Truman yeah, and to the meetings. Funny, you know, the funny thing is Truman didn't even know that we had a nuclear weapon. Yeah. I, I, that's the one that has always blown me away, is that, you know, it, it, but I, I, I always find it fascinating when we have a normal transfer of power. It didn't happen this last time around. Um, when the newly elected president goes in and you know sits down with the current president, and I assume the newly elected president suddenly learns a few things that they did not know ahead of time. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of holy crap moments in that first meeting. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't I don't think Roosevelt had that first meeting with Truman. Well, you know, the, the weird part is I mean, just to, before we get a break here, we'll wax a little bit on history is. The, the, he had a vice president for the first three terms, right? It was not was not Truman. I forget the guy's name. I shouldn't forget it, but I but I do. Uh, maybe somebody will tweet it into Eliani. But the uh, so they 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 the powers to be in the, in the Democratic Party knew that Roosevelt was not going to survive his fourth term, and they didn't want the yeah. other, they didn't want the other guy being president. Yet mm-hmm. Harry, Harry Truman um, had been a stalwart senator. He was head of finance and wherever he was, and he'd been a a guy that was uh, very straight, very honest, and and knew where all the where all the, the dimes were. He also had a pretty mm-hmm. pretty good feel for foreign policy for a guy you wouldn't expect to. And he actually uh, had a much better feel for Stalin than Roosevelt. Roosevelt thought that that his personality could somehow change Stalin. And, and Harry Truman, maybe he's from Missouri, that there's no personality that's going to change Stalin. I mean, I don't trust the man; never will. So, to a certain extent, we were probably better off as a country that Roosevelt died when he did. Uh, but that's but he but the entire party knew that he was not going to last his fourth term, and yet yeah. even though they ran Truman with him, you would think they would said, "Hey, Franklin, you're not doing so hot, bud." Even though you got to get these guy this guy involved because you know the chances of you. Mm-hmm. The guy's blood pressure was, you know, two something over one. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, he was just all messed up, and uh, yeah. and so, I mean, but even then, he he was not included in anything, which is almost unbelievable when you think about it. You know, I mean, oh yeah, no, it's, it, and and honestly, I think that I it, I think that's going on now. What? The, yeah. Well, I think it probably I, I, is I just don't. I, I don't. I don't feel like there's there's a lot of coordination between the vice president and the president. Um, they had completely different messages after this mass shooting down in Texas. I uh, she she said we got to ban AR right now. You know she she took the the you know the immediate response and 
his response was, we need to have measured, smart gun control. I said that was his response. For what, another 50 uh, years? They, they, were two very, they were two very, very different. I, I, and it's not like I, I really, I don't, I, I, although I should pay more attention, I really try to ignore politics as much as possible these days just because oh, I've got how enough can to you about How can you? But I, just, I, I saw her immediate statement and I saw his immediate statement and they were very different. I, my, my read on her, of course. There is no coordination in that administration. I, uh, from what I've read, and again, I, uh, well, what if you don't say, you're going to say something nice about somebody, don't say it at all, but the, the things I've read is that she's been kind of pushed to the side because every time they've asked her to do something, she's been unprepared, didn't do a very good job, and they've just kind of over it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. those are the hot rumors that are flying. Now, whether they're true or not, whether they're actually giving her decent stuff to do, or I, I don't know. I mean, but it seems and, she has not, she has not impressed anybody, let's put it that way. And she's had a, a, I mean, they all do, but uh, I saw an article this morning where it was just talking about the massive amount of turnovers that they've had in, in her office. Yeah, well. And but, but it's like, you know, why am I even here? Um, so, you know, you know, and then if it's, if it's like a, it, it, you know, if it's like one of those cool jobs that the mafia guys get working in Kamala Harris's, Administration where you just kind of have to show up and you're not doing a whole lot. You know, why don't you do that? Show up, play solitaire all day, get a decent check. Well, I mean, have a quick thing on your resume when it's time to move on. It was like being ahead of a, a committee at the CBOE. I mean, you could either see something that was maybe not not right, and if you if you used your head, you could somehow wrap your committee's charter around whatever issue that was, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was, you know, head of membership, as far as I was concerned, everything involved membership, right? <laughs> you know, whatever it was, it, if, I, if I wanted to do something, I did it. I mean, uh, but I was very curious, and I wanted things to improve, and if it wasn't happening somewhere else, I was going to find a way to maybe do it in our committee. I mean, I, some people just impress people right away as, as, as doers and leaders, and I'm not saying that I did that, but I'm saying... You can just tell if somebody's willing to take the extra yard, willing to show up, willing to, if somebody's having a problem somewhere to help them out, see what their issue is, maybe mm-hmm. see that there is an issue there, maybe have other people help. There's, there's, you see people that have that knack and you see it immediately, right? I'm not saying I did, but, but I, I mean, I at least could see where issues were, but some people just seem to have that knack where in three weeks everybody goes, yeah, you know, that she's pretty good or, or she's not. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it just happens, and it happens to women, it happens to men, it happens to everybody. It's not like it's a, a gender-specific thing at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think. But, uh, hey, when we come back, let's go over some of the sponsorship and some of the, uh, we saw how much crypto deals are out there. But real quick, what is the status of, like, we're talking about nuclear energy, I don't want to go into it too heavy, what is the status of, like, the Zion thing? The thing's been closed for 20 years. Is it, is, if, if there's going to be a nuclear plant, there's the property right there, there's the cooling, there's everything. Why? Why can't the thing get fixed? I mean, or was it was the design just horrible to start with? Um, I honestly, I think it's the same same idea that you have with respect to you don't want to drill a hole in the ground uh, because you're worried that you dr- you drill a hole in the ground for oil that the administration is going to change some rules and suddenly you're going to have to you know stop pumping oil from that new hole in the ground that costs you a lot of money. Uh, why would you if if 
you're not assured that you're going to be able to continue to uh, produce nuclear energy, uh, why in the world would you invest an awful lot of money in getting a nuclear power generating station back up to speed? Well, but I mean, it was, I guess, my, yeah, always, I mean, always, every time I see it, even in pictures or whatever, I'm curious. It's it's the newest plant. And after mm-hmm. four or five years, they just said, well, this one's a clunker. And it's sitting there. So if you and I lived a thousand years, is it still going to be just sitting there? Yeah. We're, yeah. Not, we're not going to take it down. We're not going to fix it. We're just going to, it's just there. <laughs> I, just, I somehow would never have guessed that just being there forever was an option, but evidently it is. Huh? Uh, it costs a lot to take them down. Um, I no. guess. <laughs> SB Futures up 19 now. NASDAQ is up 61. Looks like we're, we're moving, to the nor- moving north here, at least right now. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at Luckbox magazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Northbank Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Eliani on the board. 
S&P futures are up 17. NASDAQ futures up 53. They were unchanged when we came in, um, which is interesting. But they are not, inter- they are not uh, unchanged anymore. The Dow futures are up 200. A lot of that's so well. Actually, Salesforce is down a little bit. It was up 15. Now it's 1375. They had earnings last night, but virtually every, every, everything in the Dow stack is up. Uh, I've got, uh, well, let's see. Apple up 88 cents. We got Amgen's down a buck and a quarter. No one's there. Two ones down. Goldman Sachs up 230. Home Depot up 190. Uh, Walmart up 32 cents. So, like I said, all across the board pretty much up. Renee's got the Nikkei up 178.6%. Shanghai down four. Call that flat. Hang Seng down 120.6%. So kind of a mixed bag over there. Europe, a little bit of a mixed bag. Mostly the upside though. DAX up 51.3. Pussy down 9.1. Check around up 21.3, so slow and so slightly the upside there. Bonds up three basis points, 2.88. Uh, Bund up one basis point, 1.14. Long way is Christine Lagarde yesterday it said something about we should probably get away from zero. Looks like they're already away from zero. I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, Japan uh, unchanged at 0.24. Uh, we've got oil up a buck 23, 115.90. Brent up 146, 117.06. Natural gas up 14 cents, 8.29. Again, real high in the natural gas, and I don't think they're, it's a time of year they're supposed to be filling the caverns up with gas for ne- next winter, and I think they're behind on that. Our Bob up 10 cents, 402. Yesterday, uh, Dow was down 222, S&P down 26, NASDAQ down 49, so a down day, but not very much down, considering how much we were up last week. Uh, gold down 15 bucks, now 1827. Silver down 4 cents, 2164. Not sure exactly why gold is not Inflatable here, but it doesn't seem to be. Copper up two cents, four thirty-two. We got Bitcoin down fifty-two bucks at thirty-one thousand six oh seven. We got for us traffic weather sports. Cubs finally won. They did. Good morning, everyone. Currently seven thirty-four a.m. on June first. Let's talk baseball. Uh, Cubs did beat the Brewers last night, making a comeback, winning eight to seven. White Sox lost to the Blue Jays last night, six to five, and the Diamondbacks beat the Braves. 8 to 7. Looking at weather in Chicago, pretty gloomy day today, but thankfully it's not cold. It's not raining. It's just gloomy. Uh, we are currently sitting at 71 degrees, cloudy with a high of 75, low of 58. And Phoenix, it is currently sunny, 72 with a high of 101 and a low of 70. Looking at traffic in Chicago this morning, the short end of that would be just to go home. But uh, let's actually get into it. Um, we have traffic eastbound on 290 between Route 20 east all the way to downtown approaching the 290 I-94 construction intersect. We have traffic westbound on 290 between Homan and Wolf Road. Traffic northbound, sorry, intermittent traffic northbound on 294 between Route 50 and Highway 34 and between the 88 West Ramp and the I-90 connector. We have traffic eastbound on I-90 between Lee Street and Lawrence. Westbound on I-90 between Lawrence and Cumberland traffic. Eastbound on 94 between Tui and Canal Port, and then more traffic further south between uh, Dalton and Highway 30 due to a, a right lane closure. It seems a truck has turned over at Route 6, so be mindful of that when you're going outbound. We have traffic westbound on 94 between East 130th and West Dempster. We have traffic northbound on 57 between Route 83 and the 94 East Ramp. Traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and the Lakeshore Drive South Ramp. We have traffic southbound on 55 between South Kedzie and Route 171. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 31st and East Grand. And finally, traffic southbound on Lakeshore Drive between Chicago and East McFetteridge. Back to you, Chief. Um, Russell, I'm doing something I should never do here. I'm 
Actually, while Eliani was giving that nice presentation. By the way, what was on that truck? If it's beer, should we get in the car and go down there so we can get some? Yeah, I know, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I've got this huge table here. This is the, uh, uh, who the hell are these guys? It's uh, the Baker Hughes oil rig stuff. And we were talking with Kevin and a little bit with you regarding <clears throat> boom and bust cycles in oil. And this this is really, I'm looking back here now to 1988. We topped out in 1990 at 1137 rigs, and by 1993 we were down to 612, and then we sh- we're hanging in the upper 8 900s, and then we got down to 496, 1999, so there must have been a price problem there. The price must have gone up somewhere between 99 and 2001, we went from 496 to 1278 in little over two years and then we stayed up there this must have been the, the, the era of the fracking 2001 through through 2008 a tippy top month was uh, 2008 2014 we had and then from there uh, went down in a year to 980 back up to 1900 uh, and then was down to 407 in 2016 back up to 1100 I mean, this is this is the, the has been that business since, for God's sake, since I, I learned about it in college. It's probably been like that since 1920, isn't it? It's a fascinating business in that regard, how the prices run up real quick and then everybody goes after it and then all of a sudden there's too much and they come back down and it's kind of oh, crazy. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's... It is kind of crazy and uh, maybe they're maybe they're learning. Uh, don't ramp these things up. But I, I, I think there's a a real reluctance to ramp these things up when you're worried that regulations may shut you down next week, and taking it and turning these things off is expensive. Well, not, they not only turn them off, though. I think they, I think they sell them overseas. They don't just put them in a warehouse, hoping the prices come back two years from now. Uh, no, no, yeah, they'll uh, if they if they can move them, they will uh, most definitely move them. What um, what did, I don't know if you listened earlier? I, I kicked the graph. I sent it to you. Do you believe the rapidity at which? I mean, this is this is the beauty of, and I think why Russell is uh, he does other stuff, but he's pretty much dedicated a lot of his thought process to economics. It is it is a fascinating subject. Do I was stunned by that article it was from uh, what was her name Pippa something or something uh, regarding the rapidity of how Russia has been able to go from selling oil to their neighbors by either trucks or whatever rail or a pipeline. All of a sudden, these these Oil tankers have materialized out of no place, and they're and they're and they're forty seven percent more of them going through the Suez Canal, and, and Russia's got what ten times as much oil on the water as they did this time last year. I mean, the they're taking it out of the pipe and they're sending it over to their buddies in China. But meanwhile, whoever owns that's the, the only way they can get it over there right now. Right, but but meanwhile, the people who own the tankers, they're not signing up to screw the Russians. <laughs> If, if this was your policy, without getting into the politics, which is hard not to, if this was your policy that we're going to screw Russia over this war, would you say it was a success after six months the ruble is higher and the oil revenue is bigger? I don't know if the oil revenue is bigger. Um, I mean, they're, what they're getting priced for barrel-wise is probably higher, but uh, I don't think I, I do not believe that they're shipping as much as they were as they were able to in the past. And you got to figure that the profit margins on putting stuff on a boat and sending it around to China is not as expensive. 
Uh, yeah, you, they're, they're not making it. The profit margin is a lot narrower. Right, you, than you would it think would be by just putting it in the pipe and sending it over to uh, to Europe. Uh, you you would think that there would be some sort of a discount, some sort. Yeah, well, I'm certain there's a discount. You think that, that the Chinese, if, if they realize that, for lack of a better way to say this, if they've got Russia over a barrel as far as um, what they have to pay them for oil, that they're paying them full price? Um, well, I, Seriously. Well, I'm saying I, that, 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 well, that's the beauty of these, the... These are people that steal everything that they possibly can, and they're shameless about it. Okay, so... Uh, put, so put, put, there's no way that they're going to, you know, I don't care how much of an ally Putin uh, thinks he has out of China. If, uh, you know, if the going rate for a barrel of oil is 100 bucks, and, the, and, and you know, Putin is suddenly limited on who he can sell oil to, uh, China will go, yeah, we'll buy all, all you want to send us for 80. Hell, they may buy it for 80, turn around and ship it to other people for 100. Well, I, I don't know what in, in, in the pecking order of oil. When you, start, mm-hmm. when you talk about Brent, Brent is like the, isn't West Texas intermediate and Brent kind of the Cadillac of oils? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm asking. I think they, I think they are right. They're real high quality. I, I think so. That's that's outside of. My so I mean, if you start talking about, I mean, if they're 120, I mean, I'm going to say, not knowing anything about it, I'm going to say that like Venezuelan <laughs> sand crap oil is is 70. Mm-hmm. Even even now, I mean, there's a because weren't, weren't in tar sands when the, when the prices were twenty eight bucks, tar sands were like five because it's all sand. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, it, yeah. so there's always there's always that part in there. But I'm just to put numbers together. I'm going to say that the price of oil has I'll be I'll be easy here, and I'm say it's doubled since mm-hmm. it started. Now I'm going to I'm going to guess that Russia is uh, delivering at least half. Of what they used to deliver, so, right? So right. I'm saying their net is probably up. So if they're delivering half. The, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're probably doing better uh, per barrel, but again, I don't think they're able to ship ship as much as they they had in the past. Well, no, but I mean, but, it, yeah. but it's the beauty of it. I'll sell you half mm-hmm. the stuff, and I get more money. Uh, yeah, or good. Uh, maybe about the same money, and you're not giving up as much of your oil. Right. And so, I mean, I mean yeah. my, my point is, we're, yeah. we're, whatever we think we're doing, I don't know how much. If, if we're if we're if we're doing it, how would you judge that? I mean, we don't know all the details, but I'd, I'd be concerned right now if I was president, going, "Hey guys, <laughs> you told me this is what I was supposed to do to bury our ruble. Looks to me like it's higher than it was then. Are we, yeah. are we, are we sure we're doing this right? Uh, you know. It, it, we're not, and everybody's not getting, um, you know, everybody's not on board, and you just need a few people that are willing to buy from you to, uh, you know, to, to keep things flowing and, and continue to be able to, uh, you know, fund your war, I guess. Well, you know, if, if a tanker so shows I don't up. think, I, I do think, I, you know, the economic sanctions have not been perfect, but I do think that they've hurt Russia enough that, uh, the people in Russia are grumbling. If they are, you know, if, if they're grumbling um, and they're blaming us, kind of like we're blaming Russia for a lot of things, then that's not doing you any good because that doesn't get um, 
you know, that, that, that doesn't get the, uh, the leadership in trouble. Plus, if you complain about the leadership there, you get put in jail. So, yeah, I've, I've always felt like the reason that you try to do sanctions is to change the behavior of the leadership somewhere, but all they ever seem to do is really hurt the regular people, and the leadership doesn't change. Uh, yeah. I'm not so yeah. sure Saddam ever, well, the sanctions there, he ever missed a meal, but I think other people probably did. Mm. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm not saying it was a bad policy, I'm just saying that... No, I, and I think it's the right thing to do, I just, uh, I, I, we, we got to stick with it, you know? Well, I mean, how, how far we... we got to stick with it, and, and yeah, you, you see out of Europe, and I don't know the specifics here, but you see Europe saying, uh, we, you know, we're... Um, yeah, but we're, we're doing a partial oil ban. <laughs> yeah. So it's just enough that it doesn't hurt us, but, you know. Well, Hungary, Hungary didn't go along with it, so they must be going to left the, leave the pipeline of Hungary open, I guess. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what have you heard? I've not, ever since the, this, the story, I mean, there, there's stories that we would like to read, uh, or follow up on that I never, all of a sudden they just, what happened to the Russian, or has it happened yet? The default payment that wasn't going to be allowed to go through the international, did that not go uh, through? I mean, they, they had enough in, they, apparently they had, for some of them, they had a clause in there that said they could pay in rubles. So they've been able to do that. And then there are some coming up in late June and early July. Oh, it's late June, okay. Demand payment in, of, you know, they, they can't pay off in rubles. And that's kind of the next, um, that's kind of the next, uh, potential financial disaster coming out of Russia is late June, early July, where there are, uh, some bond payments that have to be made in, I don't, I don't know if it's dollars, but it's, they can't make them in rubles. I know that. I mean, are we really willing, I guess the question always is, after being, you know, <laughs> uh, regulation is in the financial industry, are we really, if, if 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 you pull up with your tanker in New Orleans or wherever the hell you are, Birmingham or someplace, if you pull up with your tanker with oil, and they start putting it into the uh, refinery, and some little wormy dude comes up and checks the oil and says, "Wow, this sure seems like Russian oil," are we willing to put Steve Russell in jail and find the hell out of your company? I'm thinking the answer is no. Probably not. I I, I don't really know what the repercussions would be. And are, are we are we really willing to say to, to a huge contributor like BlackRock or Goldman Sachs or whatever that this three hundred million dollar check coming from Russia? Guess what? We're just not going to let it get to you. I mean, are, are we really? Pl- no, I don't think I don't think that. Well, okay, that's what they're that's what they're saying is we're not letting yeah. that we're we're going to make them default. Well, okay, you you didn't cash my check. <laughs> you, know, you know, duh! I sent you a check. You didn't cash it. I guess I still got it, right? Yeah. But I don't, I don't sort of get that one at all, do you? No, I don't. I, I, I don't either. Um, I, it, it's like you want to hurt Russia, but you want to make sure that nothing that you do ends up hurting us. Yeah, which is... And which is very difficult to do. I had a solution around that. Um, you know, offer to take, uh, you know, the, the Fed does everything else, Offer to take Russian bonds off of uh, any entity's hand here in the United States and replace it with something that's uh, based on the assets that we've been seizing. 
by the way, what, what exactly do we do with some huge yacht? Do you and I get to rent? I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. But it seems to me that if we are, you know, taking, uh, you know, taking assets away from oligarchs, we could use that money to make the bond payments, and therefore the people in the U.S. don't get hurt. Uh, and you know, Russia has it. Russia doesn't have. They're not going to make their interest payments. But also, nobody's going to lend them any more money. Well, if we decide to sell one of those things, other than maybe you. Who the hell can buy one of those? <laughs> what, what's, I, well, exactly. I mean, I you know, I guess we could. You know, it, it, I know this is impossible, but wouldn't it be great if we could retrofit them with uh, some guns and stuff real quick and give them to Ukraine? Uh, <laughs> God. What were the, uh, didn't they used to have, uh, what was, what was the TV show? They used to have the, mer- the merchant ship that would, would go around and look like a merchant ship, and as soon as it, you know, some, uh, Japanese no, no, no. Mikhail's Navy? No, no, that was a well, that was a sailboat. Ah. That, I'm saying there was one where thing looked like a merchant ship, and all of a sudden they got near some submarine, and would, would pile up and come up next to it. And all of a sudden, they would drop the sides, and there's all these huge guns and start blasting everybody. I guess we could do that with a yacht, eh? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could pull that one off. Hey, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd have to have the, uh, the the ladies that like to hang out on those as well, um, you know, as, as a decoy. Well, that's we we'd be in charge yeah. of interviewing the ladies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, hey guys, yeah. well, come on and hang out. And then the second, and then they just run under run below deck. And uh, yeah, that's the end of it. Hey, uh, yeah. how about shifting gears? We got a few <laughs> minutes left here. Uh, did you? What do you make of this? This the sponsorships here for the the sports? What do you? I uh, the crypto. This Coinbase got this mm-hmm. much money for God's sake. Why? Why is? Are crypto people zeroing in on the NBA? What's what's the attraction there? There's an article here. I'll tell where it is. Which one it is? It's uh, written by Jabari Young, and we've written uh, we've read some stuff of his before. He's real good. Uh, CNBC. Uh, tell it. Well, I suppose I should read the title. I'm going to talk about the guy. Crypto deals help fuel NBA sponsorship to 1.6 billion in 21-22 season. Uh, a firm says, or a firm is. Uh, the figure is up from 13% from the $1.4 billion in sponsorship revenue for the 2021 season. Sponsorships include deals for arena naming rights and for companies to put their names or logos on players' jerseys. Uh, do you have to put, like, logos on your shirt when you go teach down in Indiana? I'm not, but if anybody would like to sponsor me, I'm, I'm more than happy to sell that one off. I can't, um, I can't believe it. I'm a stock You know, I, I think, you know, Crypto people are finance bro type dudes that like to do cool stuff. And if you sponsor, you know, if you sponsor an NBA team or anything else, uh, you know, SIBO, we used to have, uh, you know, used to have a, a little little sign right behind home plate at Wrigley Field yeah. uh, for SIBO, but they also had four seats that came along with that sponsorship. So you can't, it, my, my, thought about, you know, crypto sponsoring professional sports, it's just a way to, you know, get the really good seats and, you know, have this cool, you know, crypto is really cool, being involved in crypto apparently is very cool, uh, and, you know, being associated with sports, if you're a big NBA fan, all you take some of your company's money and you get a sponsorship, and then you also get really good courtside seats for the games that you want to go to. That's, I, I, that, that's the association that I think you have right there. Well, I did, uh, uh, before uh, my friend and great guy Jim Tyree died at Mesro, we were still clearing there. Uh, 
I was invited to uh, uh, his two seats on the floor of uh, was it the must have been the old stadium? No, nah, it was yeah, but it was a new one. Um, I was we we were right on the on the mid not not the side where the players are the other side where two of us <laughs> sat right there. They were they were seven hundred fifty bucks. This had to be God. This was eight ten years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was it was interesting. I remember BSing with the ref, you know, of course me, but uh, it was fun. I mean, I don't know if you want to do it all the time, but uh, it's kind of weird sitting there. You can't. Even, you can't there's a guy comes by. He has to go get you your beer because they don't want you getting up and walking along, you know, the side of the court. But it was a little yeah. odd. But anyway, this uh, I, I just as a as a refresher and for everybody the. Uh, Cryptocurrency companies helped fuel the NBA sponsorship revenue uh, record to a revenue of 1.6 billion last year, according to estimates by IEG, a sports partnerships consultant. It's up 13 percent from the 1.4 billion, sort of like our inflation rate, right? Uh, the 2021 season, uh, 2018-19, they were 1.2 billion, so they're going up like every year. Um, it's interesting. I guess the NFL is over, but they're now the the leading sponsor, except for technology companies. So they're ahead of beer companies, ahead of uh, mm-hmm. anything like that. Uh, um, so they're they're you know I, I didn't, would not have guessed that, but but they are. And the uh, so they have uh, hockey is at six hundred and seventy six. Uh, Billion. Let's see, crypto partners are now the second most lucrative sponsorship category for the NBA, behind only the technology category. Among the NBA's crypto deals this season was a league agreement with crypto trading platform Coinbase. Get it? Stock has gotten decimated. CNBC reported the deal is worth $192 million over four years. How, did, how does Coinbase pony up $50 million a year for? Ugh. They must, must be good. For, business must be good. Other categories estimated to pay the NBA over $100 million annually include banks, Telecom and merchandise, what's got to be Verizon and what's her name's on there all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Telecom and merchandise, according to, I'm surprised that there's the insurance is not in here because insurance is all over baseball and all this other stuff. Companies spending at least 50 million include Anheuser Busch, Pepsi, and AT and T. So I guess is that's the AT and T girl, right? Among the big four sports leagues, the NBA ranks third in sponsorship revenue. NFL is number one with two billion. Uh, Major League Baseball is 1.7. And it's, NHL is about six hundred and seventy-five million. So, at one point four billion, they're they're kind of between. Yeah, they're almost as much as Major League Baseball. So, I guess that's good. I mean, uh, kind of surprised that they're that they're that much. I mean, you you wonder the people who do buy the Super Bowl ads, like you know, GoDaddy and those places. It's 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 more for their ego, but it's actually for marketing. But uh, you know, you never you never really know if this stuff works or not. <laughs> what? Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it, 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 some of it does. No, no, it doesn't. And the reason that I know it doesn't, it's, uh, there, there's been things in the Wall Street Journal before about, um, you know, uh, it, it really doesn't make economic sense to sponsor a stadium or, or things like that. In fact, it, there was such a negative article about it, uh, Hasselhoff International was set to sign a deal with the Fox to make to be the, the name of uh, what is now Guaranteed Rate Field, and uh, the Wall Street Journal did a thing about how poorly companies that sponsored stadiums, how, how poorly their stock did, and Household International backed out of the deal. So it's not a, it, you know, if, if, if it was really a lucrative type thing, you would have a lot of very solid companies stepping up and sponsoring these various things. But how, it's not. How do you ever, how do you ever... 
well, what, what I learned in my five years chairman of the marketing committee does not make me a marketing person, but it, it, it's really hard to figure out, as, as Chuck Henry, former president of the CBOE, used to say, I know I'm wasting half of my marketing money. The problem is I don't know which half. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. It's a, it's a real split between marketing and PR. Right, and they're they're totally exactly. they're totally separate things, and it's took me a while to understand that. I mean, when you talk about marketing, when when Pepsi does the Super Bowl, if they do well, I, I read this. I don't know, I read this a while ago. I don't know if it still holds true, but if they do well, the next two or three weeks, their bulge versus Coke and other stuff is like a two or three percent, like nation and worldwide. Or they, oh, can, yeah. they get the and, uh, and, and beyond that, there's actually, and this was in my dissertation, um, there's a positive correlation between having a good Super Bowl ad and your stock's performance over the next couple of months. Well, yeah. Cause there's it, no it, logic behind it. Well, but, but it, there's it, a it, it it actually, something that, it, It's something that actually happens. But I'm saying there's, because everybody already knows Pepsi, if, it, if you can get it, get it in people's minds, you're actually going to get an increase in sales for the next... I'm going to use the term 10 days, that equals or better what you spent on a, on a Super Bowl. So it actually, you get your money back, and it's worthwhile. And some, But now if you're GoDaddy, okay, even though they got the good-looking girls and everything on there, it's it's more of a PR. Nobody's going to go buy a website that tomorrow that they don't need just because mm-hmm. they saw the GoDaddy yet. But they're, they're making the, the, the PR point that six months from now, if you're looking for a website and you Google websites, and four names come up, you're going to recognize the GoDaddy because of the Super Bowl, and you're going to pick GoDaddy. Just like right. Guaranteed Rate Field, you don't even, you don't, don't nobody's going to go get a mortgage just because they see it. But what they're banking on, and again, you're, you're saying it probably isn't true, and you're probably right. What they're banking on is if I'm going to look for a mortgage and I Google Mortgage Company Chicago, and it pops up, I go, oh, I've heard that name. Those are the guys that sponsor the White Sox. I'll at least, I'll at least check them out. That, that that's mm-hmm. it's different than the Pepsi, where they actually expect you to go out the next day and buy the Pepsi, right? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm no expert. I'm just I'm just trying to say that there are differences in what you're trying to expect, right? The United Airlines, right. you know, every time you fly so, over to place, you know, you want the name United. So if you're going to go fly in six months from now, you're going to check United's prices first or something. I don't know what they're looking for, but mm-hmm. something like that, right? But they're not going. No, absolutely. Uh, it, the sports sponsorships, I think, are more. I, I don't think they fully make economic sense. Oh, I, I'm, I'm probably with you. I, I really don't. If, you know, um, I, I always, I always turn back to uh, to Warren Buffett, who wants companies to be, um, you know, spending money in a uh, in a very logical way. And I don't think any of the companies that fall under the Berkshire Hathaway umbrella sponsor sports stadiums. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to say no, out of all that stuff, I think he, he owns the Triple A team, but uh, I think he does that for community purposes and because he likes baseball. Well, I do some commercials, targeted commercials, a lot quicker than I do a stadium. That's just me, but I, I exactly. Anyway, exactly. but thank you very much. Have a good week. Yep. SP Futures up 18, Nasdaq Futures up 50. Looks like we're we're putting a whip to the rally again here. We'll see if it lasts. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 
888-344-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again.